beginning April 2nd. Watch Cross Assembly live streaming on Facebook and crossassembly.org. If you start spiritualizing heaven and think of a Tom and Jerry cartoon where Tom kills Jerry and he's in heaven on a cloud and he's just playing a harp and it's really spiritual. If that's your view of heaven, you're going to lose 90% of the reality of heaven. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. You know, God's given us a lot of keys to get through tough times, anxious times. In fact, I've come to the realization, there is not one key to overcoming anxiety. I think we have to attack this from different directions. And today I'm gonna give you another key to handling anxiety. Um, In 125 AD, the philosopher Aristides wrote the emperor Hadrian, the Roman emperor Hadrian, to try to explain the success and growth of Christianity despite persecution. In other words, Hadrian is saying, these Christians are going to hell, we're slaughtering them, we're killing them, we're doing everything we can to stamp out this movement. And yet they're still growing. And they're so successful. Why is that? And Aristides wrote this to Emperor Hadrian. He said, quote, if any righteous person of their number dies and passes away from the world, they rejoice and they give thanks to God as if that person was leaving one place and going to another. Do you understand what he's saying? One of the ways they overcame anxiety is these Christians understood this world is not their home and when they died, they actually believe they're going to a better place. I think that might be another key to handling these anxious times. Now, we've had about a five or six month journey through the book of Revelation. It's hard to believe that it's coming to a close today. And I wasn't, now here's, let me just kind of give you a little insight. I wasn't gonna preach on Revelation 21, heaven, because I preached on this a couple months ago, like in January or February. So I said, I've already preached on this. I'm not gonna go preach it again. And then this thought hit me. I've never been in a, a series, I think, this long, and I can't get to the very end of the finish line and not finish the book out. So we just got to finish this thing, okay? And uh, I look, I'm going to be sharing a lot of things I've already shared with you about heaven. Okay, there's not been any new discoveries on heaven in the last five or six months. So I'm just going to be sharing some, some the same stuff with you. But I, uh, I just think this is a fitting way to close out the study of the book of Revelation. Now here's, here's where we're at. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I told you, there's going to be seven years of, of, of hell on earth, We call that the tribulation. Toward the end of the tribulation, there will be a military campaign. It's not a battle. It's a military campaign that's launched from Har Megiddo or Armageddon in Israel against Jerusalem. When all seems lost, Jesus Christ comes back from heaven, destroys the armies of Satan. And on Wednesday night, we talked about the fact that he sets a 1,000-year reign on planet Earth. Toward the end of that reign, There's one more satanic rebellion. Jesus captures Satan, throws him in the fire pit, throws him into hell, and it's all over with. And so now, watch, here's where we're at. Human history is now over. It comes to a close. Well, pastor, what happens after that? 
Revelation 21.1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I want you to see verse one. John says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. What he's saying is, just as we have, now watch this, a literal physical planet called earth, there is a literal physical place called heaven. Now let me stop and say this. I've warned y'all about this before. If you start spiritualizing heaven, and think of a Tom and Jerry cartoon where Tom kills Jerry and he's in heaven on a cloud and he's just playing a harp and it's really spiritual. If that's your view of heaven, you're gonna lose 90% of the reality of heaven. Heaven is not a spiritual place. Heaven is a physical place. You know, we are in the West, we're kind of the, uh, the inheritors of a worldview called Platonic dualism. Plato said this, spiritual good, physical bad. That's Platonic dualism. That's not biblical. Heaven is a real physical place. In fact, the Bible talks about heaven in concrete terms like buildings, clothes, trees, stones, gardens, rivers, musical instruments. These are real concrete things. Now, how can that be, Pastor Chad? Where, where does it exist? I don't know. It could uh, exist, heaven could exist in a different dimension. You know, astrophysicists and quantum physicists now tell us that we apparently live in a reality of not four dimensions. They're now saying maybe 10 dimensions. So heaven may be located in another one of these dimensions. We don't know. My theory is I think he uh, heaven is located in a parallel universe. But let me read some quotes. Now, these quotes are not from like Christian scientists who are trying to prove the Bible. These are secular scientists in secular publications and they're saying things like this. Several years ago, in the journal of the Scientific American, they published an article by physicist Max Tegmark, who said, quote, parallel universes almost certainly do exist. This is a secular physicist. A while back, Discovery Magazine had an article by the physicist Brian Greene, who explained how the properties on a black hole's surface suggest, quote, the unsettling theory that our world is just a mere representation of another universe. Our world is just a shadow of the realm where real events take place. John Barrow and John Webb in an article entitled In Constant Contacts in Scientific American said this, quote, scientists are now beginning to suspect that our universe is but a shadow of a larger reality. Do you see what these secular physicists and quantum theorists are saying? They're saying, y'all think this place is real. There actually might be another universe that's more real than this universe. And I think that real universe is where heaven is located. Now this is cutting edge stuff, but did you know for centuries, this has been part of the Christian worldview. John Milton in his book, Paradise Lost, it's published back in the 1600s, he said, what if planet Earth is just a shadow of a real larger uh, reality? Um, in Hebrews chapter eight, have y'all read this before? God says, Moses, I'm gonna give you some very specific instructions on how to build a tabernacle. 
Don't cut corners. You follow this diagram specifically. And then Hebrews 8 basically says this. God was so specific because he wanted Moses to understand this physical tabernacle that you're about to build on planet earth, it's just a reflection of a real tabernacle in a different place, namely heaven. So my big picture is this. Don't spiritualize heaven. Heaven is a real, literal, physical place. Now, look at verse two. John says this. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming, now look, look at this, this um, I guess, what, preposition, down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is very important. One day, the biblical worldview is this. Wherever heaven is, if it's in a different dimension, if it's in a, a parallel universe, watch this. One day heaven is going to come to planet earth. One day God is going to set up shop on planet earth. Now look, Peter indicates that there's going to be some type of, of, of cleansing, that God is going to destroy the earth by fire. People ask me all the time, do you believe in global warming? Yeah, one day God's going to burn this place up. So I believe in global warming. So, but he's going to purify planet earth, okay? He's going to clean it, and then heaven, wherever it's at, is actually going to come to planet earth. And look at the direction. It comes down. Skeptics would say this, aha, there's where the Bible's wrong. Down is different places depending on where you are on planet Earth. If you're in North Carolina, you know, up is that way in North Carolina. If, if you're in the southern hemisphere in Australia, up is a different place. So the Bible's wrong. Up can be a thousand different places depending where you're standing on planet Earth. Did you know there's one fixed position on planet Earth, and that's Polaris, that's the North Star? Uh, going 186,000 miles a second, it would take you 400 years to get there. Polaris is the fixed point. There's a picture of this, and, and our axis is basically rotating around Polaris, the North Star. Now, here's what amazes me. The pre-scientific authors of the Bible seem to understand that there was something significant about directional north as it pertains to heaven, and God's throne. Let me give you a couple examples. Isaiah 14, 13 through 14. It's talking about Satan, okay, wanting to take over God's throne, his position in heaven. Listen to what it says. It says, Satan, you've said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the what? North. Implication, God's throne is in the north. Leviticus 111 was telling Jews how to sacrifice animals at the altar. It says this, and he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward toward the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Psalm 75, six through seven. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. What cardinal direction is missing? North. But God is the judge. Implication, God is toward the north. Now, I don't understand all that. I can't unpack all that. But here's what I want you to understand. When the Bible says that heaven is going to come down from, or heaven is going to come down onto planet earth, there's some indications. The Bible actually knows what it's talking about, okay? Now, I want you to look at this as well. Verses 9 through 21 describes heaven itself, this new city coming down from heaven. Verse 16, it says this. The city is laid out as a square. Okay, its length is as great as its width, and he measured the city with a rod, 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are equal. 15, no, here's what it's saying, okay. 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles this way, and 1,500 miles that way. Now, here's what people say. 
Well, that's just allegorical. The Bible's just being symbolic. Look down at verse 17. In verse 17, it says, this city, the new Jerusalem, was measured, do you see this? With human measurements. Almost as if God looked through time and said, the day's gonna come, they're not gonna take my word literally. And so I gotta clarify, this isn't some spiritual allegory. I'm giving them human measurements. This is the literal dimensions of the city of the new Jerusalem. Now, I'll say this. Sometimes you gotta take the Bible symbolically, okay? Like when Jesus says, I am the door. Okay, y'all understand he's not literally a door, right? Okay, that's symbolic. But here's the front. More often than not, I get in more trouble taking the Bible symbolically than I do literally. When I, when I take the Bible literally, more often than not, I'm, I'm pretty on I'm, I'm safe ground. And I'm taking this literally. Because verse 17 says, take this literally. That's the dimensions of the city of Jerusalem. Now, I got a PowerPoint of a friend who's an architect. And he drew this out. He says, so if you're looking at planet Earth in outer space from the side, 1,500 miles, that's how far out the new heaven would stick out from planet Earth. If you're looking from above, that would be the footprint of the, of the new heaven. The height is amazing. It's 600,000 stories tall. The tallest building in the world is in Dubai. It has 163 stories. You know, the One World Trade Center that took the uh, Twin Towers place, it's like 104 stories tall. And this is 600,000 stories tall. The, the footprint is amazing as well. Um, it would stretch from Canada to Mexico, from the Appalachian Mountains to California. The ground level would be over 2 million square miles or 62 trillion square feet. The volume, if you take this literally, what's this new heaven going to be like? If this is just inside the city. What's going to be like outside the city? If you take this literally, the volume is amazing. It's 4 quintillion square feet. Pastor, how much is 4 quintillion square feet? Well, let's go do this. I've heard that the human uh, population throughout history, like from the very first human to today, I've heard it's 100 uh, billion. I've also heard that it's 50 billion. Let's say it's, it's basically 50 billion or so, and half those people are saved, which is not true. Jesus said very few people find the road that leads to eternal life. But just so we can use this number, let's say about 24, 25 billion people. If you take that kind of volume, what I say? If you take the volume of four quintillion square feet and you have 24 billion people in heaven, that means... Every one of us, after you take out parks and streets, 24 billion Christians, each one of us gets a living space of 392 million square feet. Hey, the Biltmore house is 175,000 square feet. You're going to be bigger than the Biltmore. You're going to have a house bigger than the Biltmore house there in heaven. Isn't that amazing? And this is what amazes me as well. How long did it take God to create the heavens and the earth and all those within them? If you take the Bible literally, six literal days. Six days. And would you agree... This universe and this world is amazing. Some sights just take your breath away. It's all created in six days. Hey, John chapter 14, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. And when I'm done, I'm going to come back and get you. Y'all know how many years ago he said that? 2,000 years ago. He made this place in six days. He's been working on your home for the last 2,000 years. How amazing must that home be? And so... Um, What's it going to be like to live in heaven? Well, look at verse 1. John says, also, now this is significant, there was no more sea, verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain 
for the former things have passed away. The, the significance of verse one, where John says, there's no sea, there's no ocean in heaven. Keep in mind, John is on the island of Patmos. It's, a, it's an island in the Aegean Sea, and he's, what, 60 miles from the mainland? All of his family, all of his friends are separated 60 miles away by all this water. For John, the sea represented separation. And when he says in heaven, there is no more sea, I think for the John that meant there's no more separation from each other, no more separation from loved ones. Um, one of the most challenging parts of, of pastoral ministry is, are funerals. Funerals are tough. If it's a lost person, it's really, really hard. I mean, I can't preach somebody into heaven. Funerals for lost people are hard, but, but I'm gonna say, even for saved people, it can be hard. And for me, the hardest part of a funeral, even if it's a saved person, I don't know, maybe it's just me, is the graveside. You know, we've had the service in here. We've driven over to the cemetery. Everybody walks to the grave graveside, the coffin is there, we say a few words, we pray, and I say in Jesus' name, amen, and they, they talk and they mill around with each other. And it's always broken my heart to see a family that share Christmases together, they have so many memories together, family reunions together, they all walk away and they leave one of theirs right there by the grave. That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see a man that has every night gone to bed with a lady for 60 years. And tonight, she's there and he's by himself. I've seen mothers leave children in those coffins. And mothers will say, I'm so, I'm so worried. I looked at the weather, it's supposed to get cold tonight. I don't want him to be cold. And she knows he can't feel anything. She knows he's not there. The logic tells him, but, but the mama instinct says he's gonna get cold tonight. I'm leaving him out here by himself. Breaks my heart. But this passage says, when we finally have that family reunion in heaven, there's no more goodbye. There's no more separation. There's no more weeping. There's no more crying. There's no more mourning. That blesses my heart. And then the Bible goes a little further and says this. But I saw no temple in it, in the new Jerusalem, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations, listen, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no more night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's no more darkness in heaven. Do you see that in verse 23? No more darkness. There's no more danger. Do you see that in verse 25? It says the gates are open 24-7. Listen to me. That's significant. In John's day, a city at night would close their gates so that danger could not come in and destroy that city. But here's what John is saying. Hey, there's no more danger in city. We don't have to keep the city gates shut because there is no more danger. We just throw them open wide. And then he says, not only is there no darkness, no danger, there's also no depravity, verse 27. Listen, the curse of sin is finally broken. Some of y'all who've been struggling all your life with that sin issue, 
And sometimes you have victory and just when you think you've overcome it, you fall back and it makes you so mad and so frustrated and so depressed. Guess what? No more battles in heaven because there is no more sin. You've won the battle through the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever, no depravity. And to me, ultimately, the most beautiful part of heaven, verse 22, is you're gonna be in the presence of Jesus Christ forever. Verse 22. I know I've shared this story before, but I, I like the story, so I'm gonna share it again. I, I, th- there's a story I've shared with y'all before. Because I got a lot of questions, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the more I read about heaven, the more questions I have about heaven. And I wish I could get all those questions answered. I wish I could answer yours. I, 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 there's a lot of, I just shrugging my shoulders, I don't know. But I heard this story years ago of a man in the old days He's on his deathbed. He lives in the old farmhouse and he sends for the doctor. And uh, this is in the days when doctors made house calls. So the doctor hitches up his horse to the buggy, throws his uh, dog in there, and he goes to visit the farmhouse. Gets to the farmhouse. The doctor and his dog get outside. They go inside the house. He goes upstairs, opens the door, checks the vitals of the old man. And the old man says, Doc, am I dying? He says, I'm going to be honest with you. you you're you're almost gone, you're, you're dying. And so the, the old man just starts asking the doctor all these questions about heaven. Question after question after question. And finally the doctor stops him and says, I gotta tell you, I'm a doctor, I'm not a theologian, I can't answer all your questions. And he hears a scratching outside, but the doctor said this to the old man. He said, but you hear that scratching? The dying old man said, yeah. He said, you know what that is? It's my dog. I brought him with me, he waited downstairs, He got tired of waiting for his master, and so he's come upstairs, and he's scratching at the door to get to me. Now, that dog has no idea what's on the other side of the door. All he knows is his master is there, and wherever his master is, he wants to be. And I'm telling you, I don't know all that's going to be on the other side of the door, but I do know this. My master's going to be there. Jesus is going to be there, and that's really all I need to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how, I mean, I love teaching about heaven, but how do we apply this? How should this change our, I mean, Pastor, all this is good and theoretical stuff is really interesting. Does this apply to me in my daily living? It actually does. Here's how you apply this thing. Jot a couple things down. Number one, know your mortality. Know your mortality. In other words, um, know you're gonna die. You are gonna die. Reflect on the fact that you're gonna die. Pastor, that's your encouragement? That's my encouragement for today. I, I told you I don't have the gift of encouragement. Why well, y'all keep coming here asking for me to encourage you? Here's my encouragement today. You're gonna die. But if you read Psalm 90, now Psalm 90 is an interesting psalm. Psalm 90 talks about how quick life passes. It's gonna be over soon. And then in verse 12 of Psalm 90, it says this. So God, in light of the fact that life is so quick, it's so fragile, God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, this is counterintuitive, okay? But I think what that's saying, what I've found is the more I realize that this is not my final destination, The more I realize life is short and I start reflecting on eternal things, I start reflecting on my mortality, you think that'll make you more depressed, it actually makes you less depressed. It actually gives you wisdom. I mean, look, we're walking around and our focus is on everything but eternity. We focus on what's the number one song on iTunes, what are the Kardashians wearing, uh, what's trending on Facebook. We get so sucked up into all this mess, we stop thinking about eternal things. 
And that verse right there is saying it's good every now and then to take a time out and understand this life is going to pass soon. Uh, in fact, there's a way, now don't, look, don't go to this website, it's probably going to depression. Do you know there's actually a website you can go to and it'll ask you, okay, what's your body mass index? You tell them, do you drink, do you smoke, do you fill out all this stuff? What's your birth date? You type in your birth date and you push enter and it'll say, based on statistics and all the, the things you've given us, you have been alive this many days and you're gonna die in this many days. And I'm gonna tell you what's very depressing is when you have more days behind you than you have in front of you, okay? <laughs> But the Bible's telling us to do this. Y'all do understand. Listen, I, I, I like doing this little exercise. I've done this with y'all before. On the count of three, okay, I want everybody to blink their eyes once on the count of three. Y'all ready? One, two, three, blink. Okay. If you live to be 76 years of age, that blink, if my math is right, is one six billionth of your life if you live to be age 76. That blink, one six billionth of your life. And yet when you start considering eternity, your 76 years on planet Earth is quicker than that blink. Why are we so focused on the blink when we should be focused on eternity? And there's something powerful about understanding that as bad as it gets here, as messed up as it gets here, uh, that there's a better place. There's a better day. I'm going to heaven. And when eternity starts to enter my mind, it pushes out all that anxiety. In fact, my favorite quote from C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world, did the most for the present world, were just those who thought the most of the next world. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly right here in the Triangle. There are currently two locations, Yonkers Road right off the Beltline near Capitol Boulevard and the North Raleigh campus near Triangle Town Center. But a celebration to soon launch a third campus will be coming in Benson. Cross Assembly believes in building people up and sending out spirit-filled agents of local and global transformation. So missions is part of the core value at Cross Assembly. You're invited to continue listening here on the radio or join in Sundays online or on campus. Visiting crossassembly.org to find out more about Cross Assembly and how you can get connected. That's crossassembly.org. We were starting a process through the private adoption agency. We were presented with the foster care system and the opportunity to become foster parents. Got a referral for our first daughter. Doctors said she might not walk. There has been severe trauma in the head. She might not see. She might not be able to move. I asked the nurse, can we hold her? And she said, yes. About an hour and a half, almost two hours. I remember holding her and praying, God, is this what you want for us and our family? Heal this baby. Touch her. The next day when we came back, the nurse and the doctors were amazed. They were asking us, what did you do to this baby after you left? 
she started moving, she started reacting, she started tracing, something that she hadn't done in about a month that she had been there. I know a lot of people said, I don't understand how you can foster, where they can be at your home one minute, and then maybe a month later when you're starting to get attached, the social worker says, okay, there's a family placement, or there's someone else that will be adapting the child. And we said, even if it's for one night, we know that they're in a safe home, we know that they will be loved, and we know that we have the opportunity to show Christ to them. Please pray for the kids in the foster system. Please pray for more people to open up their hearts, to open up their homes. There's opportunities, whether it be supporting a family that has adopted either privately or through foster system. Feels good that our family adopted three little girls. I can't imagine my sisters not being a part of our family because they mean so much to us. And we felt like God was calling us to do that. Maybe God's God calling you to adopt. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered. Beginning April 2nd, watch Cross Assembly live streaming on Facebook and Cross Assembly dot org.